Afghanistan. Nothing was as sad as the things that were happening in Afghanistan during the past weeks. A beautiful country with a beautiful people had again fell in hands of those who dislike any beauty as we know it. The retreat of foreign military forces from Afghanistan led to a complete chaos in which an abstract ideology started to rule the country again. Yes, the history repeated itself. I wanted to publish a story about Sudan uprising, but with the new coup that happened in Sudan, all those activists I wanted to talk with got really preoccupied with organizing protests. But I could eventually find a group of Afghan lefties who were ready to talk with me, and among them was Khosro, who lives in Frankfurt, but his heart is beating for his people. Um, my name is Khosrow. I'm 33 years old, and um, my relatives live in Afghanistan, um, mainly in Mazar Sharif. It's a big city in the north of Afghanistan, and in Andhoy. This is a, a small city, maybe a more village. Uh, so I am a half Uzbek, and my mother is half Pashtun, half Tajik. So I have <laughs> three. Uh, ethnicities uh, we lived in in Kabul uh, until 1992 i think or maybe 3 moved to mazar sharif for several months I lived then for 2 years or something in andhoy with the um with the uzbek people there and then moved to moscow and then 99 we came to germany i rose up in osnabrück and um, studied also there and in Würzburg, and now I'm living in Frankfurt. Afghanistan is a land of four seasons and beautiful mountains. The gate between east and west hosted a population that at the depth of history were mostly nomadic. The nomads who herded sheep in the green mountains and through hundreds of mountains routes invisible to the modern world. Before the last century, most of them couldn't distinguish their identity between Afghan and Pakistani. For them, their tribe had the main significance. They had no state and they didn't believe in it. But then came the Westerners, more specifically the British, who without having any information about the rich Afghan culture would consider them savages. To be honest, I didn't know much of the history of communism in Afghanistan. My laziness in doing a simple research about the country was fed by the mainstream media, which only focused on the history of Mujahideen, Taliban, and the U.S. forces. Truth is, the name of Afghanistan is linked with wars and bloodshed and chaos, but this is only part of the reality that's happening there. One can only understand that after talking with a person from Afghanistan then the whole world that the Western media has created for us turns upside down. We hear always about how oppressed the women of Afghanistan are. From right to left, everyone is using the identity of Afghan women to talk about the dimensions of the disaster. But the truth is, women are very powerful there. They are managers, mayors, leaders, and have been an agent of empowerment for hundreds of years. Shamayel Shalizi, an active member of the Afghan diaspora, says in a recent interview with Revolutionary Left Radio that women in Afghanistan could only achieve what they have because they worked hand-in-hand with the men. 
Thanks to Khosrow, I came to know a whole history that is usually hidden to the consumers of mainstream media products. Uh, I rose up in a in a very um, in a family which is which is traditionally comes from Leninist uh, Marxist point of view, and especially my mother uh, was sixteen when she wanted to join, for example, the party. So, but. Uh, they she had to be for example 18 <laughs> and she changed her her uh, her papers she was politicized politized very very early so i i rose up in such a family when i was young i studied more philosophical topics which are obviously in western states not uh, not marxist or leninist point of view but more uh, colonized point of view, or maybe also a neoliberal way the thing, to understand the things uh, about the world, about the uh, human being and so on. But uh, this changed uh, somehow, I think, when I was 26 or 27. And uh, especially now, when I, I have a lot of uh, Marxist-Leninist Afghan friends, and some reading groups in which I'm also active, and we read uh, old books about this time and try to understand uh, why, especially the neoliberal society, think about about uh, Marxist-Leninist uh, parties from other countries like I don't know Russia, Afghanistan, Iran, or um, Sudan. Colonization and exploitation have a long history in Afghanistan. It was probably the 13th century Marco Polo who offered the beauty and resources of Afghanistan to the eyes of the public in the Western world. The 18th and 19th century saw three main wars between Afghans and the British colonial empire. The British wanted to maintain their interests in the region and for that reason, they did everything they could from installing kings, occupation, and later on, killing those attached to the USSR forces. By the end of the 19th century, the Tsar Russia started to have a lot of influence in Afghanistan. The UK merchants didn't like this. They wanted to own the trade routes and the cheap labor in Afghanistan, and sometimes this was the main reason for a war. But... In the third and last Anglo-Afghan war in 1919, because the British Indian Army was exhausted by the demands of the First World War, the Afghans won the war in a month, could finally take hold of their foreign affairs, and Afghanistan was pronounced an independent state. At the same time, Amanullah Khan, the ruler of Afghanistan at the time, also signed a treaty of friendship with the Bolsheviks of Russia, making Afghanistan one of the first countries to recognize the Soviet government. The first um, colonial power which tried to colonize Afghanistan was, I would say, England, because the empires or big, big countries, or I don't know, big, big, they were not nations, but like Chinggis Khan or Greek and so on, I would... I would not uh, mention them in the in the same way because, for example, the Greek didn't colonize Af- Afghanistan, but they um, they they were somehow uh, maybe uh, cultural imperialism 
this means that uh, we we learn from them a lot of things and they try to force us maybe to learn these things. I'm not aware of that because I'm not a historian, but uh, there were also cruel um, uh, cruel things which did Genghis Khan to Afghanistan. But so I would start with uh, Great Britain uh, and this conflict were taken in three wars, which his name is Anglo Anglo uh, Afghanic Wars, uh, and it ended 1990, 1990, <laughs> 1919. So uh, this was the year where Afghanistan was officially independent. From um, Brit, uh, from British colonial empire, we have also to accept that uh, that the Afghan government there, the uh, the king, was dependent to uh, to British empire. So the it was somehow an official independence, but uh, but indirectly they were dependent. So this is why I would say Afghanistan was not um, not fully uh, um, a colony, but they were under strong influences of them. Still after the um, independence in 1919. After that, there were a lot of um, political um, diplomacies with, uh, for example, with, with Russia and with Germany. There were no more fight against these imperialistic uh, um, countries. But uh, since 1976, I would say, started the the indirect but very strong influence from from the USA. And they tried to weaken the, the socialistic movements in all Muslim countries, for example, but especially, of course, the Soviet Union or Cuba and so on, um, or China. So uh, there were, I think there is are some papers from the CIA in which you can see that they are were working on uh, on this since 1955, in which they started to make uh, to use uh, um, Islam or the religion in these uh, areas against the socialists, and um, they tried to to make uh, to make them to radicalize them in a fundamentalistic way. During the World War II, Afghanistan remained a neutral country. But this didn't stop the imperialist powers to intervene in the domestic affairs of the country. The monarchy ended in 1973 after a coup by Dawood Khan, who then became the first president. In 1978, and through a radical change that is called Sur Revolution, the People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan took the power from Dawood Khan and started reforms in line with the policies of USSR. This party, the PDPA, was a Marxist-Leninist party that changed the name of the country to Democratic Republic of Afghanistan and started fighting with radical fundamentalists such as Mujahideen. 
Now, to be honest, one of the main reasons that it took me so long to publish this episode was that I couldn't understand this event that is being called Sur Revolution. While some leftist sources call it a revolution, other sources call it a coup. But a coup is very different from a revolution. How could I explain it well? This was making me really crazy till I found this book by Hamid Wahid Ali Kuzai. His book, The Kansas History of Afghanistan in 25 Volumes, puts the matter in this way. The People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan had two major fractions, Khalq and Parcham. These two fractions had always had problems with each other that most of the times weakened the party. In 1973, Daoud Khan, who was supported by the Parcham fraction of the PDPA, started a bloodless coup, ousted Zahir Shah, the last king of Afghanistan, and became the president of the republic. Many members of Parcham fraction then took key roles in his government. But the mismanagement of these people urged Daoud Khan to dismiss them from their positions. This urged Moscow to count more on the army to reach its motives. In 1977, the two fractions of PDPA finally reunited under the influence of Kremlin. But at the same time, Daoud Khan was taking distance from Russia and asking for help from the West. He mended the fences with Pakistan and traveled to Iran and Saudi Arabia to ask for money. This change in Dawood Khan alarmed Russia. In 1978 and in a carefully staged plan, the KGB assassinated a key Parchami figure in order to provoke Dawood Khan to crack down on the PDPA. Dawood Khan fell into the trap and started an armed action against the PDPA. In this event, 7,000 armed forces and civilians were killed, including Daoud Khan and his entire family. The coup turned back against Daoud Khan and PDPA took control. So, coup or revolution? I have no answer, but this was what happened. Khosrow believes that the Sur revolution could have been a real revolution if PDPA could have more time to empower the peasants and workers to take part in it. Eventually, and due to many internal conflicts inside the party and a resistance by the population toward socialist changes, the USSR brought its forces in 1979 in Afghanistan to keep the integrity of the ruling party and fight the paramilitary fundamentalists. This was not something that the US liked. The next changes were rather rapid. Russians left Afghanistan in 1989, leaving the PDPA to deal with its own many problems. The party couldn't eventually maintain the power and Mujahideen took over. Soon, Taliban occupied Kabul, executed the leader of the PDPA and became the leading power of Afghanistan. The role of PDPA in Russia in Afghanistan is a matter of great dispute among Afghans. While many believe that the 1970s and the rule of this party was the beginning of major negative changes in Afghanistan, others defended as the party brought many positive changes as well as modernization, secularization, education for all, and emancipation of women. Oh, shit.
We all know the aftermath of the 9-11 attack in New York. The U.S. occupied Afghanistan for 20 years and justified it with a cheap claim of fighting terrorism. When the U.S. Senate, at the time of George Bush, was changing the law to justify the occupation in Afghanistan, only one senator voted no. Everyone in power in the U.S. wanted a war against Al-Qaeda for whatever cost. Finally, bin Laden was found in Pakistan on May 2, 2011 and was killed by the U.S. troops. But the U.S. stayed in Afghanistan for another 10 years. If you think this doesn't make sense, I'd welcome you to the club because no one else thinks it does. It becomes even more complicated to know that not only U.S. but NATO forces as well as German troops stayed in Afghanistan the whole time. When I asked Khosrow why he thinks the U.S. stayed there, he found it a difficult question, but he answered, the, uh, President Bush started the war and then uh, uh, Obama made the drone attacks far, far bigger and uh, bought a lot of drones. I think for Bush had uh, 2,000 something, 2,000 drones. After uh, Obama, they had 8,000. And uh, Trump made it, I think, even bigger, this infrastructure. They had diplom- diplomatic um, um, works with Pakistan, so they chose this base again, this uh, country as a base, and um, tried from there to uh, make their operations in Afghanistan. So this was the first, the main reason why they had to pay a lot of development aid, for example, to Pakistan. But I think there might be also another payments and agreements. Uh, but the development aid, you can uh, check very easily. There are a lot of statistics. And you see that from 2001, the statistics goes very high, uh, up to $3.7 billion. In this time, they knew that their money is flowing to, to the hands of the fundamentalist group, uh, the Taliban, but they never said, we, we, uh, we will not pay you because <laughs> they needed the base. And um, maybe in the later from, I don't know, maybe from 2011, 12, uh, 13, 13 and so on, they also understood that they can use this situation in which they are and replace this government because the government was very corrupt and um, took a lot of money and did nothing for the people. They had <laughs> lists in which they stand, for example, that they have, I don't know, hundreds soldiers, but actually they had only a few. And uh, the money they had to pay for the soldiers, they took themselves so, and were uh, had a lot of billions in Saudi Arabia or other cities in the world. And um, to what I was argumenting now is that um, this uh, colonial power or imperialistic power shows up when you see that they uh, con- control the government the corrupt government in Afghanistan, in which were stabilized a lot of warlords, like um, like Gustav, for example, and um, and they also worked with the Taliban, which they were officially fighting. 
and they knew that the money they are paying to Pakistan is going to uh, to the Taliban, and they also got a lot of money from drug sellings and from Saudi Arabia. Ninety six to two thousand one, there was a uh, um, an American imperialistic influence, which you could say also an indirect colonialism in Afghanistan until the fall of the ex-government. But there must be another another uh, things which were more important because they stayed there for so many years, for 20 years, in which we knew, knew from 2006 that this project will fail. You can't you you can't you can find any sources which are hundred percent person right, but there are also um, people who say that uh, the USA is there uh, or were there in Afghanistan not because they wanted to bring uh, peace or make state building in Afghanistan, but to control and first uh, Pakistan, but because Pakistan has. Nuclear it is a nuclear power which is not so stabilized. So they wanted to stabilize this uh, this country and control the uh, nuclear power uh, or nuclear weapons there. And uh, the second interest of of the USA might be, but <laughs> we can talk about this. Uh, I think a little bit more. Uh, to radicalize the separatistic group from uh, from China, which are the Muslim Uyghurs, and um, there there are also a lot of neoliberal African journalists who talk about uh, I think twenty thousand Uyghurs in the north of Afghanistan. You can we could say that there might be also an uh, organiza organizations from the CIA and the uh, former government to radicalize uh, these um, Muslims from China, the Uyghurs, and some, how to say this, propaganda schools like madrasas or something. And this ha have been done to 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 weaken China. Now, the situation in Afghanistan is similar to the late 1970s when the Russian forces evacuated Afghanistan. That was a green light for fundamentalists of Taliban to take to the government seats. The 2021 U.S. withdrawal should not only be seen as a complete failure of U.S. policies in Middle East, but shows us how other members of the NATO and partners of the U.S. failed in maintaining a comprehensive plan. It was horrendous to see all the Western forces retreating back from Afghanistan at exact same time as the U.S. Tariq Ali says in an interview with Jacobin Mag that the reason is that those forces 
cannot do anything without the U.S. They are politically, economically, and logistically tied with the U.S. Khosrosso summarized his demands from the international community as an Afghan living in diaspora. Um, I have several uh, demands. I have a demand to the Western countries. Um, I would say that uh, because of the humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan, we should think how we can help these people. Uh, I can understand that a lot of Afghan people don't want uh, the West to recognize the Taliban. But I would say because um, the humanitarian crisis is too, it is too near, but I think we are already in a humanitarian crisis when you uh, think of uh, Afghan parents who sell their, their children so they don't because they don't uh, feed them anymore. Or when you think of people who are at the mo- who might be at the moment uh, ill, they can't go to hospitals, they can't go uh, to work and get money, uh, they don't have enough water, and um, in the winter it is also cold, so they need something to warm their houses. Uh, I think these needs are the most important, and. Uh, I would demand from the Western countries that they frozen money here to to help these people. For example, by dividing this money to private accounts, bank accounts. I I'm but I'm not sure if this is possible. If this is not possible, I would say they have to to make uh, some diplomatic relations to to, to the Taliban and try to say something like. Uh, don't know human rights uh, for Afghan women or Afghan uh, women's rights for Afghan uh, or right to education for the children, the rights of mobility from from the country or in the country. What uh, could be else very useful electricity and in, uh, internet, so they can talk with uh, with. Us, for example, with the diaspora, but also with other people from uh, abroad. So this would be my main demands, because I think this is the most important thing at the moment. Not because I'm trying to make the Taliban stronger, or I'm not a a Taliban supporter at all. But I think we have to do this because the people are uh, very in danger. Other demands would be... For example, to try to 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 help organizations or um, structures in Afghanistan which are more progressive, like Erawa. This is an um, anti-politic woman organization since uh, I'm not sure, but I think 1976. There are also other groups which might be in, in undergrounds who are trying to organize themselves and try to weaken the Taliban, they could be helped out. Um, there's a lot of a, a big group which live in Pakistan, in, in as refugee or in Iran or in India and also uh, in, in Europe or at the borders of Europe. So I would demand from the Western countries that they should improve their situation, accept their asylum. 
Thank you for listening to this episode. The politics of Middle East and especially Afghanistan is hard and full of seemingly random changes. I didn't try to give a summary of the politics of Afghanistan, but many documents on WikiLeaks and official libraries would confirm the evil presence of allied forces in destabilizing Afghanistan. This is of course no news to anyone. As political activists, we should demand explanation and further ask the governments to stop intervening in the internal affairs of other countries. But this is the least we can do. The return of Taliban means new waves of migration from Afghanistan and those who were actively meddling in the politics of this country should be responsible in admitting Afghan refugees. This is something we actively follow in Germany with the support of the international leftist community. Undisturbed is produced by me, Bijan Sabah, and is part of Colorful Voices network of radios throughout Germany. Please send me your comments via email to the address in the description of this episode. If you like Undisturbed, please share it with your friends. I'm coming back to you soon with more stories told by Colorful Voices. Mm-hmm.